0: Opposing the government and opposing the conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that. Is the nature of the hard left? And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any dissent. What's it? Well, we know who the hard left are. Who associate with the hard left? You just said that we were on right to right wing the hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. Hard the hard left, the like hard left, you you know, aar- the hard left, the hard left, hard left, the 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 hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, hard
1: left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard
2: left, the hard
3: left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, the hard left, hard left, left, hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, left, the left, the hard left, 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 hard left, hard left, the hard
1: left, the hard left, the hard left, the hard left, the left, the hard
3: left, the hard 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 left, 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 left
1: We've decided to relaunch the show uh, on, on the basis of the uh, disastrous election, election results this, uh, this week. Uh, thank you very much for coming back to us. Uh, we, we, we couldn't do this without you, really, so we've decided to stage a coup and uh, the real Politic lads have allowed us to take over their their show thank you very much guys wait
4: hang on sorry i was just out of the room what's going on here who's who what who is who the fuck is this i thought... we've taken
3: over your what? show Jack.
4: <laughs> <laughs> me me and garaint we're just going to have a nice little chat you know just the fellas just the way that all our our listeners like it nobody to distract you from that authentic real politics smoke and then i come back and there's these like strange mysterious voices who is this is this mike gapes is it are these (laughs) the gate goons have they got their revenge we are here to stop the extremism. <laughs> right, well, I think this has been a failed coup. I don't know who these CIA stooges are, but I'm taking I, back uh, control.
1: I, 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 will, I will accept that, but on, on the one condition that you name this episode, Paso Keithification, is that possible?
4: I, I may, but I'll check that, like sinan or podcasting as praxis or whatever haven't used it first just to be honest <laughs> wait sorry is this
5: not um left leftover pod oh, sh- i feel like i'm on the wrong podcast right we now. should
4: have invited arjan and nikita as well now we can't we can't have oh, too many people i mean it will be be, be be chaos pure pure chaos and not necessarily in in the good way like that three hour stream where i was just going on about van morrison and stuff uh, Speaking of which, yes, as I said on Twitter, for the recently divorced man, or the man in the process of a divorce, uh, there is a new record on the market, I talked about it a little bit in today's episode, um the I don't know why I'm saying today's episode that's confusing the episode that came out on the day that we're recording this which is a different episode but yeah um you know, there's a new album out Van Morrison's latest record project that really speaks to the plight of the man who has been divorced and knows what a divorce is like not naming any names but eventually... I'm
5: terrified what? to man listen goes. to it because <laughs> it's either going to be really good or it's going to be absolutely shit
4: what is oh what latest record project yeah yeah i just i'm not i just don't want to this to... it's complete <laughs> it's <I'm> like gonna... <laughs> completely mad i don't know like i, I do... <laughs> we shouldn't classic van we shouldn't get too in into van morrison but yeah latest record project is is out now for for the divorced man among us and um <laughs> yeah so Van
3: Morrison is 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 that what a though is, is called now?
4: <laughs> <laughs> There's a Van Morrison parked in my driveway. I think he's watching me.
1: Um, no, that, it's, it's Van Marks and Spencer. Uh, you are you are getting that confused. Man. Um, <laughs> speaking of di- spe- spe- speaking of divorce divorced men, I, I think there may be another one uh, pretty soon. I don't know. I just speculating. Yes. I shouldn't really comment on speculation, but I do trust the. The lobby implicitly as everyone as everyone who's who's followed my tweets knows that you know whatever the lobby if the lobby is saying it there's obviously a lot of substance to it so i don't think we should completely dismiss some of the rumors that we've seen flying around last night jack what do you think yeah
4: i, I think i've always had a lot of time for the westminster lobby i've always had a lot of time for shadowy anonymous labor sources uh, i think we've got to hand it to them for again their courageous work in the public interest
1: <laughs> issue issuing a correction on my previous comments yeah. uh we we, we we by no means have got to hand it to them however it is absolutely hilarious that uh, all of this stuff was getting off last night i don't remember the, the chaos really because look let's let's be clear the the results this week have been inc- extremely disappointing you know it was what we feared would happen if, you, if the labor party went back on this trajectory and what actually occurred last night was making a really bad situation worse. I mean, I don't really understand what they're playing at. It seems like a a scorched earth almost. Astonishing scene,
4: really. I couldn't agree more. But before we get into all that, let's do a proper introduction for the show now that I've wrestled control back from these usurpers. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, you're listening to Real Politic, everyone. Uh, well, sort of, you're listening to all the best as well, because we have both of that great podcast hosts with us today. Max Shanley and Matt Zarb Cousin are uh, estimable friends very much great really time great, to be, great to be on the
1: on, on on the airwaves uh again obviously you know love love the show yeah really really good to be back
4: thanks great to have both of you and uh whilst matt has been on the show a couple of times before max this is your rp debut so it's great to have you on well thanks for having me ah oh, it's it's a pleasure man and not just all the best, two great hosts are with us today but we also have somebody who you will have heard many times on this very podcast, somebody whose fire tweets will have rocked your world many a time. It is our good friend Jude Wanger at Jude in London too. Hello. Pleasure to have you, here. It's Jude. been a
5: while since I've done a, pet- a podcast with you guys.
4: It is, yeah, because, I I mean, we've been planning the 24 episode for, like, a couple of months, but I just want to watch all of it. (laughs) All 75,000 episodes of 24. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it makes sense that we, we, you know, do something uh, that requires a bit less uh, extensive time spent in the darkened room that uh, John Trickett said on Owen Jones's stream that Kier Starmer's currently in uh, watching 24 probably that's what Kier Starmer watches for you know a bit of muscular liberalism maybe designated survivor is his his uh, kind of thing in a in a similar vein but it's awesome to have you on Jude and I want to thank you again for your little contribution to our 200th episode which I really appreciate it Oh it
5: was my pleasure my pleasure my pleasure
4: So yeah, like Matt sort of alluded to what has been happening for the last few days a minute ago, but yeah, it's been an extremely eventful few days in politics. Garaint and I recorded on Friday and what we got into there was sort of the results, the Hartlepool results uh, in particular but also you know how Labour had done well in seats where Keir Starmer wasn't you know the face of Labour so much you know it's a Andy Burnham romped home in Manchester, uh, Labour got good results in Wales uh, in places like uh, Salford, uh, Labour won good really good council results but in the rest of the country, but what wider England so much, and obviously Labour did fucking miserably in Scotland too, it almost kind of goes without saying, but where they have run with this hard right, starmerite, right, I think there is an ideology to it, but almost on the surface valueless agenda, just this cynical, badly managerialist kind of thing. They have done really badly. So Geraint and I talked a bit about that, I'm sure we'll talk about That's some more but a lot has happened since then and I'd say it really kicked off Garant and I alluded on the last episode to the imminent prospect of a reshuffle in which obviously we're we're still expecting like Annalise Dodds and Nick Thomas Simmons and people to be demoted or sacked altogether Uh, but Something quite unexpected happened, which was that the- Starmer was obviously just like fuming in his dark room, and he saw. Like Kiefer Sutherland, like, saying to the foreign leader in Designated Survivor, like, you piece of shit, I actually speak Russian and I know what you sinister foreigners get up to. You ought to do what I say. And he was like, I need to take the initiative. He was like, okay, I'm going to sack Angela Rayner as party chair and uh, campaign coordinator. Then, yeah, all hell broke loose. uh, Certain rumours about... Mr. Starmer's personal life uh, sort of surfaced. Uh, Who knows how they found their way to Tim Shipman. <laughs> but
1: ship ship the, is unbound ship, yeah. is, ship
4: really, is unleashed he goes unbound. into
0: unbound mode and just sort of sucks in information from the air around him he's that
4: powerful <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah a lot happens so yeah i've I, now i've kind of set a bit of context i'll i'll cede the floor to uh you guys what have everyone's impressions been of the last <laughs> Day off, too.
3: Keir Starmer what? is clearly uh, advancing the class struggle from
4: a Marxist viewpoint. <laughs> if you don't understand that, uh, you need to go home. <laughs> oh, God, sounded like un piccolo gruppo di Stalinisti here. For, for class struggle from a Marxist perspective, that's the kind of thing that uh, certain people are saying needs to be uh, completely eradicated from the Labour Party.
5: I didn't know that Paul Mason was joining us on the pod today. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Mason's actually trying to distance himself now, isn't he, from Starmer and sort of t- like he had nothing to do with it. You know, oh, oh, yeah. Terrible results. What's, what's Starmer doing, you know? <laughs>
5: it's been an extraordinary kind of reaction. I think we all expected the local elections to be pretty dire because yeah. Labour have had absolutely nothing to say to the country for a year now and, you know, that was a deliberate choice by the party, it wasn't circumstances, whatever spin they may be putting out, that was a choice by um, Lotto and Starmer to basically, you know, play parrot to the government through this uh, pandemic. And so i think everybody kind of expected it to be bad i don't think we all expected the reaction to it to be this bad and i think what it does is expose exactly how thin-skinned starmer is and a lot of the soft Mm. left are actually um because it wasn't even that terrible a result like worst local election results have been had and yet they've just kind of completely exploded um, and it really shows almost like a very narciss, well, not a very narcissistic quality, because we all, I think, in order to run for leadership, you have to have some kind of narcissistic quality about you, um, in politics. But it really Apart shows from Jeremy. The... He's
4: a sweet angel.
5: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure about that. But um, um oh, but it really a pure. shows how. He's a pure soul. Um, <laughs> I think it really shows how uh, Storm's narcissistic qualities really kind of clash. With his thin skinness, because yeah. narcissists tend to have a thick skin. They tend to be able to weather insults and things very well because they know, by virtue of believing they're so superior to other people, that they can always, ha- they've always got a comeback, something in the back pocket that they can pull out to like one up whoever is their adversary. Um, and it it feels right. like the fallout from the local elections is basically just Starmer showing how perceptible he is to uh, to be wounded by personal attacks on his on his um self as an individual rather than on the party and and that's really dangerous to a political player like boris johnson who's very pro personal attacks um and if you react like this to people saying that your leadership is a bit dodgy uh, what are you going to do with a general election uh, everything everything
1: they've done so far i think um has been defined by this really cautious approach not trying to not trying to antagonise capital, not trying to antagonise the media, um, trying to appear acceptable to the establishment almost. That's been the approach. And also coupled with this kind of flag-loving, inauthentic, almost over-the-top patriotism that's designed to appeal to, they think, designed to appeal to the seats that Labour lost in 2019. Now, Hartlepool has been a really interesting example of how that is a really limited political strategy. And, and people do want to see uh, you know, if they're going to get out there and vote, they want to have something to vote for. And I don't even think it's an, an issue of left or right. I actually think, despite how he's tried to portray his leadership and, and you know the premise on which he wanted to become Labour leader, I think it's a lack of competence, to be honest. Mm. I think he's packed his office with people who are frankly just inexperienced and they don't really know what they're doing, and that's why they're listening to Peter Mandelson because they don't they don't have any convictions or experience. And actually, you know, these are the people that were running Owen Smith's campaign. Yeah, it really it's not even left or right, because if they were right, if they were right wing, which we know they are. And <laughs> now it's going to become even more of a, a narrow Blairite sect who's running that leadership and who he surrounds himself with and who listens to literally Peter Mandelson. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I want to get. Um, I definitely want to get into that very lit yeah, yeah. Blairism kind of thing again.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But 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 it, but it's 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 not got any of the, the the positive aspects of Blairism. It's not got any of the ele- the effective electioneering, or it's not got any of the optimization of the media of the day the media de jour which would be social media now
5: right it doesn't have any of the competence of Blairism because say exactly. what you want about Blairism but it was actually a very functioning system that they had there they knew what they wanted to do mm. and nine times out of the ten they pulled it off successfully um, and yeah. what we're seeing now is just ba- Blairism completely malfunctioning at every turn At every person who gives it a go, just cannot pull it off. I don't even think it's got anything to do with Tony Blair being this consummate politician, which you know, is the kind of the myth propagated by his acolytes like Andrew Adonis, etc., etc. I think it's just a lot of people who study politics rather than get involved in politics. And if you study Blairism, it's possibly the worst thing that you can do, because it doesn't allow you any any room for manoeuvre if things go wrong. And so what you've yeah. basically got now is a, an attempt to do Blairism 2.0, um, but with absolutely no charisma, no competence, no experience. And what you get is just a calamity, basically, because everyone can see through it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just like... And no, no vision as well. No, no, no vision. Oh. I mean, Blair... He's back. Exactly. But this time he's unelectable like i mean blair
5: Blair had a vision like you know his 97 manifesto his his great vision was we want to get you know 50 percent working class people going to university that was his big thing you know education 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 and and it's very ironic now that the leading charge against the labor left is that we're all you know university graduates <laughs> without forgetting that that was the staple of the Blair government Now it's all that, right. that it was its entire purpose fees. That would, right. and that it's would like, only help middle class you're people. You're calling people I guess middle class Blair because failed. they <laughs> went to university. I mean, you're calling people middle class because they went to university. But the whole point of the Blairite project was to get working class people to be going to university. One in two working class people to have a university degree. The whole mm. point, I mean, the whole 13 years of Blairism was about the academisation of life in society. So we, it wasn't just getting people to university it was also getting people who were already working to get academic um, qualifications so the the failed kind of train to gain scheme that came out in, mm. in the last kind of blair brown government of like 2005 2010 that was all about going into your workplace and getting baristas to get a, a an nvq in customer service or getting you know the receptionist who you know left school at 16 to get an NVQ in you know business administration or um or you know accounting or something like that and it was all about getting people to have qualifications and so it's really ironic that the labor party is now the leading charge against people who have qualifications it doesn't really make sense <laughs> well you <laughs>
4: mentioned Andrew Adonis Jude and he was tweeting i think earlier today that the only labor leader who, who yes. he thinks could currently win an election was, guess who? Tony Blair. <laughs> I mean, like, right now. I, I, I think it's so sweet how, like, committed Adonis is to, to his, his hero, to Tony Blair. <laughs> He's, he, you know, he, he loves him. And, and apparently it's reciprocated in A Journey. I tuned out most of the shit in A Journey when I, I read it. Cause it's, it's very boring and um, self Satisfied, as as you can imagine. But um, apparent, yeah. He he praises Adonis a lot in that book. So yeah, there's obviously a a, a mutual appreciation there. I don't know if i'm quite as confident in as andrew adonis that tony blair right now would sweep to victory more than any other conceivable labor leader um and you know i think another thing about the success of blairism was you know it was obviously of its time it came at a particular juncture this sort of end of history thing i was just reminded by the discussion of how peter mandelson is literally advising the leadership he's part of the inner sanctum. He is in the pro Starmer WhatsApp groups with the MPs. He is uh signing off, according to a senior source who told Owen Jones this, on like party community communications, you know, on um
1: well, yeah, the, li- the lines alliance to take after Hartlepool. Exactly. He was you know, things like that. I mean that that is bearing in mind, you know, the, the... That's very important. That's very you know it's a huge hugely influential role. And apparently, I was reading today as well that this is the briefing that went out. So take a pinch of salt. But uh, Angela Rayner was trying to explain what the party's message should be for the local elections to Peter Mandelson, and Peter Mandelson decided that that wasn't good enough, and so the leader's office would then take control of the campaign, and now they obviously want to. Blame Angela Rayner. So there's so many conflict. There's so many conflicting stories about what happened. And now, like, so first of all, it was Angela Rayner's fault. And now it's uh, Angie wasn't competent enough. So we had to do it. Oh, but we've done it and we fucked it up. So now it's Angie's fault. Like there's. They, they don't know how to do crisis management. <laughs> They've made it so much worse. They've made it so much worse with all these conflicting briefings. And then you've got the likes of Dan Hodges, who's and John Rental credulously tweeting out exactly what uh, you know Ben Nunn's telling him to say. It's absolutely r- ridiculous. And they, it, just anyone can see they're, you know they're clearly not telling the truth. They're not being honest.
5: I think what that shows is that Starmer's Labour is actually incredibly reactionary. And I know normally when we talk about reactionary politics, we, we almost kind of always attribute it to, you know, the far right or the, the, the conservative right, but actually the labour right are extremely reactionary because their entire modus operandi is we react to what the pub- public says they like so if the public are voting tory we become more like the tories <laughs> if the public are voting left we pretend to be more like the left and basically i think what the leader of the opposition's office has done since it's kind of come into fruition after Sama won the leadership is basically decide that through this pandemic People voted Tory in large swathes because of Brexit, but obviously it wasn't just because of Brexit. They obviously voted Tory because they love the Tories. That was their thinking. We need to not be seen to be arguing with the Tories in public because people don't like that and we can't challenge them. So we need to be seen to be supporting them, but also people like it when we embarrass them a little bit. So we need to be, you know, at PMQs, we need to bring up these kind of gotcha data sets that, you know, will make the prime minister looks stupid because that's going to get a couple of uh, lib dems to vote for us that that was basically their entire mindset you know it brings in the whole focus group obsession that Stormers <clears> labour <throat> have which is basically asking people to tell them what they think and then going okay which one of these things that they think can we actually work with and put forward as an idea from the Labour Party and the reason that doesn't work is that we have a society that doesn't actually really know what it thinks and it changes every single day so on Monday Hartlepool could be telling you we want better hospitals and then on Tuesday they'd be telling you we don't want any immigrants and so you're never going to be able to settle on a vision if you're constantly looking to the public to tell you what that vision should be you should have a vision yourself and try to sell that vision to the rest of the country for all of his faults that was the one thing that jeremy corbyn did well he had a vision whether you liked it or not and he used to go around the country talking about that vision what he perceived he wanted the country to look like and you either came on board that train or you you know came off that train and said actually no thanks i'm going to stop at this stop mm. um and that's just completely missing from starmer's labor there's just absolutely nothing
4: i don't really see any signs of improvement in that regard from starmer because he's just hired deborah matheson the <laughs> ultra blairite pollster who mocked people who predicted a hung parliament in 2017 who uh, thinks that claire Fox punctures the woke bubble, that's former Realpolitik follower Claire Fox uh, there, now uh, it's Tory Lord, and who thinks that Alan Johnson would have somehow smashed it against Corbyn, unlike the other 50 interchangeable, unreconstructed Blairite candidates in the 2015 Labour leadership contest. The party seems to be heading even further in the very kind of like pathetically... Dependent on just like focus groups and uh, trying to be enthralled to an ever changing public opinion that Jude just described.
3: I think the thing everyone's forgetting about Starmer though is that it's not Starmer's job in the eyes of his most hardline supporters to win elections. Keir Starmer's job is to remake the Labour Party in the image of its most hardline right wing section, the PLP and the likes of Labour first and progress. That's his job. It's Kinnockism 2.0. So it's not really surprising that Mandelson's leading the charge because he did the exact same thing for Kinnock.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> yeah, but I think, I think Max, coming to that point, I think there is an issue, though, because I don't think that Starmer is going to be as successful as at Kinnockisation of the Labour Party with regards to what happened in the 80s, because I think for better or worse, Kinnick was able to retain kind of hold of those kind of Labour right grandees that, you know, the party needs to be able to to survive in terms of donations. The problem Keir Starmer has is that he's lost all of the, the small donors that Corbyn brought in and he hasn't brought back any of the big donors. Because if you're a, a big donor, if you're somebody with a lot of money, Why the fuck would you give to the Labour Party in its current iteration? (laughs) Yeah. Like, it doesn't... It wouldn't make any sense. If I was Lord Sainsbury and I left under Corbyn, why the fuck would I come back under Starmer? Yeah. I'd get more bang for my buck under Boris Johnson. It doesn't make any sense as a businessman. And we all know that these big funders, these big donors, these Labour grandees, these lords, the Blairite empire was very heavily reliant on. And, and these people who left the party under Corbyn that, you know, the, the appointment of Stammer was supposed to bring back to the party. These people are not going to put their morals and principles before their bottom line. So, you know, the Stammer, Labour is a bit fucked, which means that I don't think he can do what Kinnick done. No. Because he doesn't have the money to do it and no. he doesn't have the base to do it.
4: I'm reminded in this conversation of something that Matt said when he last appeared on Sinan's live stream to talk about the first year of Starmer, and um, I posted... I think it was called
1: Key key, key Thing in the Name of.
4: (laughs) That's very Sinan. Uh, I posted this quote on twitter because i thought i thought you know i've I've been you know you know my thing is just to say the words right-wing ideological project over and over again and hope that it ingrains itself in at least like one or two people's minds Uh, i I very much want to make the point that i don't see starmerism as entirely directionless entirely bereft of uh, values or ideas i think it has them they're just very bad and uh, what matt said on snan St. stream was uh, sort of about the blairite wing you were saying in 2010 it was gordon's not tony in 2015 it was ed's not david it's never blairite enough for blairite wing and i think what you're saying here is that the more blairite it gets the more blairism actually has to sink or swim the more we're we're actually putting it to the test. Like, okay, let's see how these politics do stand up in these modern times. And so, like, what you conclude is, unless literally Tony Blair is advising the leader and Peter Mandelson, then you cannot get away from the fact that this is a Blairite project and this is Blairism. Exactly. I mean, yeah, but
5: it's definitely a Blairite project. I mean, if you look at it in terms of parliamentary experience in terms of political experience Keir Starmer has less than fucking West Streeting I mean at least West Streeting was yeah. the president of the NUS at one point and has been involved in some kind of politicalization you know of his life um since quite a young age but the DPP role is not entirely political it, it, it can be but it's not entirely political it's more preoccupied with like law and order he was elected to parliament the same year as west street yeah, for yeah. Sake.
2: <laughs> right
5: and now he's like he's the fucking leader of the party five years later and it's yeah. a bloody joke that's not supposed to happen you are not supposed yeah. to become the leader of the party five years after you enter parliament because it's just not enough time for you to learn how Parliament works. I, I mean, off the top of my head, I cannot think of how many years Kinnock was in Parliament before he... became Blair. For the nice. Labour Blair was... 13. Blair was in the, Blair was, <laughs> years. was it 14 Nobody years. has ever become leader of the Labour Party after so few years in Parliament and mm. ever made a success out of it. Whatever you think of Jeremy Corbyn and his success or failures, he was in Parliament for a bloody long time before he became leader and he yeah. knew what the you know the cutthroatness of parliament is like fucking where? i mean
4: where's yeah where's is pretty Ke- much keith, the leader now <laughs>
5: keith star keith starmer keir starmer has yet to serve a full parliamentary term because every time there's been a fucking snap election he's not done a full parliamentary term yet it's actually ridiculous
4: yeah mm that's true i mean yeah people talked a lot about corbyn's lack of experience but at least he did have 30 years in westminster to draw on as well as you know countless uh experience in stuff that we'd consider politics but maybe uh centrist assholes would not that takes place outside of parliament. But yeah, like, Starmer, he doesn't have, like, good political instincts. He's just got, like, this command and control thing. He's just, like, a managerial fucking guy. That's what he was doing at his uh, DPP position. He wasn't, like, winning hearts and minds. He was, like, bossing people about, fucking lording it over people. You know, just everything that, like, repels me. And and the the fact that he lacked those qualities is what attracted me to Corbyn.
1: (laughs) But well, that's the thing. We, we elect people in a democracy, you know, put on the basis of you know how we think they're going to come down on you know, particular marginal calls, or like what their vision is for the country and what their judgments like. Fundamentally, it's about judgment, and his judgment is really bad. I mean, you can be you you can be a good bureaucrat, and as you say, like be used to running massive organisations and have that kind of experience but still have really shit judgement and to have political judgement it's you know it's the most difficult thing to you know to be able to navigate and time and again he's shown himself to have really bad judgement now unless we want to believe the theory that he fully intended to bring labor down with the Brexit policy that he advanced that's A plausible theory given that you know we know that he he wanted to be leader of the party but if if we take it take it in good faith it was a a shit policy please no one (laughs) alienated everyone and we ended up in an election defined by brexit which was disastrous for us equally the shadow cabinet meeting after that election where we lost badly uh, he proposed that we delay the implementation of brexit and we put a motion down to, to to do that, uh, extend the transition period. I mean, again, time and again, he, he's shown that he's, he lacks just basic political judgment. And I think the whole thing with Angela Rayner is just an example, the worst example, because to, to not think that that was going to lead to backlash in the way that it has, and the, you know, it's just piss poor political management, basically.
5: I just want to build on what Matt's just said. I think people forget that the reason that Stone was made shadow brexit secretary had really nothing to do about his own kind of personal history um in terms of his principles but more about his kind of legal history i mean he was a barrister like a i think as like a lead barrister at doughty street chambers who kind of specialized in immigration and human rights, and that was kind of his legal background. So for Corbyn, it made sense to make him Brexit Secretary or Shadow Brexit Secretary, and I think that was the whole reason why he was appointed a Shadow Brexit Secretary, was to try and put that across to the country and go, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a lawyer. This is my thing. This is what I do. I'm here, I talk about immigration and human rights, this is my specialty, this is a disaster. Ironically for Corbyn, it was a good idea at the time, but it just completely fucking backfired on him. But um, I actually think... Corbyn had to
4: fill out his shadow cabinet, and he needed to make alliances with people who didn't necessarily have his politics, but with whom he could find common ground on. So I think he probably looked at Starmer and thought, well, this is someone who's serious. I remember the reshuffle,
1: and that was the the, the thinking when it was the reshuffle after, uh, the 2016 leadership contest. And the thinking was that Theresa May and David Davis, who was the actual Brexit secretary, were going to screw so, up the yeah. negotiations. They were never going to be able to reconcile the irreconcilable. If we can put someone out who looks like they are on top of their brief, they look qualified to do these complex negotiations. The optics of that will reassure people who might not see Jeremy as a kind of serious figure, basically.
5: Yeah, I think. And and the thing is, it wasn't the wrong thing to do. It was absolutely the correct move by Corbyn. The problem Mm. was that the conversation around Brexit did not hedge on technicalities or being able to prove who was serious about what or who believed what. I mean, I think the whole thing that politics has been missed, has missed for the last six years, Is that people are are beyond the point where they can be persuaded by logic or reason. Mm. Too many people have been, you know, quote unquote radicalized by the internet, by discourse, by the tabloids, by whatever. Mm. Um, and they're all down they've they've all gone down their, you know, respective rabbit holes and it's kind of hard to kind of pull them back to reality now. And that's the problem that the real problem that Labour has, which is that they can't make inroads in somewhere like Hartlepool without losing a lot of their base in the south unless they figure out how to have the awkward conversations that the entire country is kind of avoiding having and has been avoiding having for about 10-15 years now.
4: <laughs> Max you in 2015 wrote this piece that you know you got a lot of stick for at the time but I think has held up pretty well uh, and you advocated that Corbyn needed to essentially do a purge as soon as he got in and totally reform the party. Yeah. Do you yeah, think that, that maybe some,
0: us, yeah. some
4: people on the right of the Labour Party read your piece, and though they may have disparaged it in public, in reality, <laughs> they uh, took it somewhat to heart and uh, bookmarked it to, for future use?
3: I mean, the theory behind what I said was based on you know, party history, and that, you know, it's a kill or be killed type situation, they do the exact same thing. You see it now, they want to purge us, so you've got to get them before they get you. Um, you know, anyone who's studied like party history knows the way in which uh, the right behaves when they get when the left gets into a position of power or influence, but the problem that has been historically is that, you know, uh, when the left has been in a position of power influence it's bent over and done whatever the right has, has, has pressured it into whilst the right has never acted that way when it comes to the left
2: yeah they
3: have absolutely no desire to accommodate us whatsoever and that's why you know it's a bit of a it, you're full if you're on the left and you think it's your job to accommodate the right.
4: You're a fool if you're on the left. I'm just going to bookmark that to discredit you at a later <laughs> date. <laughs> Max, yeah, Max but, is a hard move right now. I'm kidding, Max. <laughs> yeah,
3: no, but, you know, the, their position is they don't want anything to do with us whatsoever. They want us to be totally and utterly subservient to them. And, uh, you know, that, that for them, that is the way of the world. And this you know based on that history was why you know when i was asked to do that interview that was the response response i gave Mm,
4: yeah Um, i think it's been fucking vindicated in the words of one of my famous songs and i was just kind of thinking like we we talked about starmer and how it was arguably a very good strategic move at the time to appoint him brexit secretary but should corbyn have and and the leadership generally Uh, have paid heed to your words Max and maybe at a later date say when he went out and said completely off-piste Labour is a remain party do you think that maybe uh, the leadership should have uh, wielded the axe, as Starmer seems to have been unsparing in doing towards certain people. Although there's obviously the question of whether that would have curtailed Starmer's leadership ambitions or accelerated them, turned him into a martyr of Remain.
3: Well, I think it's farthest to say whether I was right or not. It's
0: not <laughs> you
2: know, I, I don't. You can I say you can say patting, you were right. I nice.
3: don't want to. I don't want to be patting myself. On I'm the saying
0: back. you were right. They, the, list, okay. the listeners can make their own mind up, and they all will agree that you did. <laughs> you know, <were> right. <laughs> I mean,
3: it was it was quite interesting. I remember when that when that came out, and you know, people decried me as being mad, and you know, he's, this is really damaging, and people on the left, this is you
4: know, and
3: that mm. it was a stupid thing to say or whatever. And within a year, it all came true.
4: <laughs> mm. Yeah, I mean, so that that's obviously the big. Sort of comparison is that Corbyn, after nine months, had a all in all pretty decent, considering everything, set of local election results, and then obviously single-handedly lost Remain the referendum, and that then resulted (laughs) in a leadership coup. And uh, if anyone hasn't listened to the show before, I obviously. Do not actually think that corbyn was single-handedly responsible for brexit <laughs> but then there was uh yeah a coup it was decided that nine months you know that was time enough uh, to let this project run its course and see if it, it it could do anything now we're 13 months on i think from starmer taking over as leader of the labor party and I think we're finally starting to see certain people, you know, Andrew Adonis, John Trickett, the usual suspects. <laughs> those two. There was that great tweet from like JW, the Spa, one of those like melt pro <coughs> war troll accounts. It was just like, we need to take people like Owen Jones, Ash Sarkar and Andrew Adonis off the airwaves. Um, but yeah, you're finally seeing certain people actually say, you know, Dare we say it, maybe the leader needs to go.
3: Well, you know, my mum has always said to me that you should treat people how you like to be treated yourself. (laughs) And the right decided that they would treat Jeremy Corbyn with utter contempt and give him less than a year in post before challenging him for the leadership. So I don't really understand why the left shouldn't do the same.
2: Yeah, I
3: agree. I agree with Matt. Because if that's how they like to be treated, well, then we'll treat them that way.
5: I agree with Max. I think I think th- this kind of builds back into my my whole you know reactionary politics theory of the Labour right which is they were they were itching for something that Corbyn did to go wrong and they were waiting for something a poll, a by-election, something they could like grab onto where poor corbyn would do you know less than expected less well than expected uh-huh. um and the the referendum kind of fell in their lap and it's very interesting that you know david cameron who was the one who legislated for the fucking election who put it in the uh, in the conservative manifesto only to shut up his own critics in his party with absolutely no intention of following it through, with absolutely no intention of winning a conservative majority, expecting a repeat of the coalition, and then finding himself with a a majority that he didn't know what to fucking do with and having to go through with this referendum, that man was allowed to resign on his own merits, but Jeremy Corbyn had to go through a coup and a leadership election. Mm. And it just kind of shows how the labor right was so trigger happy not because not just because they were waiting for corbyn to kind of trip up and mess up in in their own mind because they're crazy but also because they're so reactionary to what the public say the public said we want leave and they didn't know where to stand because they were diametrically opposed to the public so what they wanted to do was get rid of somebody who they felt well the public don't agree with corbyn anyway we need to bring in somebody new, and then we need to kind of do what we usually do, which was, you know, basically tell the public they're too stupid to know what they want, and we know what's best, and if they vote for us, everything's going to be fine, and that's worked for the last that worked for the last thirteen years of Blair. So why wouldn't it work now? Everyone knows how bad austerity is. Yeah. But actually, a lot of people didn't know how bad austerity is yet, and the po- a lot of people still don't know how bad austerity is, even after a year of the pandemic.
3: And, and the thing in particular about the, the referendum campaign was, of course, that it was an arch-Blair right who ran it for Labour, Alan Johnson. The guy who would was have a,
4: smashed the 2015 leadership election. Yeah, who, yeah. Was,
3: who was himself not appointed by Jeremy Corbyn, but appointed by the caretaker leader, Harriet Harman, another Blair
1: right. She took such so care of basi- the party.
3: So basically, they only had themselves to blame.
1: Max, I'm wondering if you can help me with something. I mean actually anyone anyone Always on this Matt, podcast. For you. Um anyone on this podcast may be able to help I I think Max may have, given his knowledge of Labour Party history, may may be the best place but um, I don't fully understand what motivates the Labour right and, and I I particularly the young particularly the younger members because I can understand, like, if you believe that the left is an obstacle to power because you've grown up in the nineties, you saw like the third way and Blairism in its heyday, and you and you believe as a result of that because of conditioning and experience, this is how you win elections, and therefore the left is an obstacle to power, and therefore an obstacle to Labour government. How you can still think that after what we've seen in, with the results this week, I don't know, but i don't understand how the younger members whose only real experience of labor gaining seats and vote share is 2017 under corbyn could possibly think those things and yeah i don't really understand what motivates them they haven't got I have they got they haven't really got an ideology they haven't I, got a vision
2: i think there's about...
4: still a, a kind of age where they can sort of have their previous they're impressionable and they can have their previous impressions of something sort of wiped out by uh, new events so for example they lived through 2017 but because they hadn't kind of uh, developed how necessarily a prism through which to view it then subsequent events to that, you know, when obviously the entire establishment coalesced to uh, turn the electorally viable Corbyn project into uh, something <laughs> that was not so much that, um, you know, then that, that in turn was kind of filled up the space in their heads that the 2017 election had previously occupied. But I'm interested to hear other people. Say I, I think
0: there's a, there's a couple of things going on there with, with, with some of the, the younger sort of Labour right. Uh, types uh, the the Nandy Teen phenomena phenomena, if you want to call it that. Um, I, I think firstly is sort of good old fashioned careerism, um, and uh, we think about it. A lot of these people will be in CLPs or areas whereby those first rungs on the ladder to sort of get a, uh, to to be the the sort of top bag carrier, to be to be first in line for like the unwinnable council wards, and you know eventually for being a councillor or working in their MPs office or whatever they will have quite right-wing MPs and and sort of veteran CLP people and, and, and this sort of thing and they will be picking uh, up these ideas from them um, uh, I've known people when I was sort of at the end of school and, and, and starting at university who had sort of joined the Labour Party uh, or other parties uh, on idealistic um, sort of grounds and then within about three months, it would be like almost sort of, um, whenever the conversation came to politics, they'd be like sort of trying to give you the lines that were like on the political leaflets that they put through people's doors when elections are on. <laughs> so yeah. I think there's an element of um, sort of opportunism, I think, from the, the more senior right-wing people that they were often looking for... Um, new protégés if you like um can
4: you making it sound like grooming man
0: i, I i'm <laughs> stopping just short of it but like <laughs> some of the processes can be a bit similar yeah. um it's but like there's there's also a sort of naivety in that um some of these people if the, the, the younger ones of, of the younger people if you like the, the people who are like still at school um a lot of them might be really sort of into studying politics and stuff like that but they've only been doing it for a year or two so they've got the sort of textbook view they've got the sort of broad <laughs> uh, historical sweep written by the winners and stuff like that and they don't really have any nuance or the sort of experience around oh hang on that wasn't quite like that or here's another theory on that period of time or whatever so they do get into their head that like yeah, Blairism was, was, was definitely good overall, even though I didn't like the Iraq War
4: or, or what have you. Um, yeah, yeah. No, it's just funny how no no one who likes the Blair Project uh, likes the Iraq War. Oh, like, a lot of just... them do.
0: They just <laughs> the, the <laughs> no, don't want to admit to it.
4: <laughs> it's just weird that it happened, given that that just none of them have ever supported the Iraq War at no point in time as any uh, public figure, uh, apart from Luke Akehurst. Ever supported the Iraq War? No one would own well. up to it. Uh, Mike yeah. yeah. He
0: left his, his wife's the, sick bed to, to vote the, the for controversial it, the
4: controversial Iraq,
3: Iraq War. I'm surprised Gapes didn't ask for, you know, like a battlefield commission. So he
4: could be deployed
3: <laughs> deployed into Hellman to personally take on. Well,
4: I
0: FFF sent me. in Hellman Province.
4: <laughs> FFF sent me a link to this uh, like podcast interview of Gates. It's fucking hilarious, actually. I somehow missed this, but like on our last episode, me and Geraint literally talked about Van Morrison, and then we talked about this interview. And what I missed is that the podcast, this Melt podcast, was called The New Normal, which is a phrase used in Van Morrison's anti-lockdown song, born to be free <laughs> um so I, I somehow didn't make that link but anyway gapes on this podcast and he was like telling a story of how he was like going on this fucking like all expenses paid fucking state department nato cia tour of the middle east that he was like going to lebanon then saudi then kuwait and then just going all to all these different countries and then he like uh <laughs> imperialisted so hard that he had a massive heart attack
3: I mean, just 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 to, just to go back a second. Yes, to uh, do it to Matt's to Matt's question. Yeah, I think a lot of these young people, they're basically at oh, heart, they're basically Tories, but they have some slight so uh, slight socially liberal instincts. You know, they're sort of pro LGBT rights. They don't totally hate black and brown people. You know, so they can't be Tories. And also, being a Tory is Unfashionable,
4: yeah, it's particularly
3: lame. amongst young people.
4: It sucks you know? to be a Tory. These,
3: pro- the, you know, these people are probably the most left-wing people in their family.
4: Again, it's like it's like no no one right voted for the Iraq War, but somehow it had. I mean, like obviously no one did vote for the Iraq War. I mean, no one supported the Iraq War, but somehow it happened. No one's a Tory, but somehow they keep winning elections.
3: <laughs> Back then, obviously, you know, just speaking from experience, having spent a lot of time around these people in in young labour, like, a lot of it is career motivated. They want to become yeah. councillors, and then they want to become cabinet ministers of councils and you know, get in bed with property developers and whatnot, and then they want to become MPs, and or they want to go and work for an MP, or they want to go work for a PR firm, or they want to become lobbyists, or they want to work for some kind of charity or something like that. It's all about getting on.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, the, the difference with that, though, um, I mean, yeah, making careerism, uh, I, completely un- I completely sort of understand, uh, you know, how that might lead people to, to these politics, given the makeup of the PLP. Um, but it's definitely, from Garant's perspective, like, that is a person who is idealistic joining the Labour Party and quickly having that kind of trained out of them in order to climb a climb a ladder but I actually think that what you're saying there Max as well is it's people who are Tories effectively but maybe because the Tories are in government and they want to be kind of anti-establishment they join the Labour Party because they're interested in politics I don't know and that's kind of because the Tories are the establishment it's kind of attracted this like i don't know i'm just thinking about the Nandi teens i'm thinking about the young these young people who are they cl- clearly they've clearly got convictions and they're i just an wonder where the hell people, that comes they're
2: from
3: they're an entirely different group of people entirely <laughs> you know the Nandi teens you know identify themselves as being you know soft left or whatever and the thing is i don't think the soft left exists and the nandy teens actually prove the thesis because the nandy teens supposedly <laughs> uh, believe in socialism in theory. And yet the minute socialism, the prospect of socialism in practice, or even social democracy in practice, uh, occurs, they shit the bed, which is basically what happened uh, with them under Corbynism. Yeah. Oh, you know, you had all these little dweebs going... Oh, I'm to the left of Corbyn, and then (laughs) you know, and then then, you know wanting to support the most right-wing policy available. Um, So you know, they're basically right-wingers who feel guilty about it.
4: I think you're that was right. a, that was a, that was a great that was a great
1: era of progress, by the way. Uh, progress, the you know the the the, the, Fire, uh, right. uh, the sect, this, the, 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 yeah, um, uh, the faction. Uh, it, it it was this kind of trying to make people believe that they because that they were pro or well, anti uh, uh, anti Brexit and they wanted to keep freedom EU freedom of movement. That this somehow put them to the left of Corbyn and There, they did, there was they did go through this kind of Phase of trying to appear to the left of Corbyn, um, which was quite something to behold. And now, obviously, that's all out the window as well.
3: Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, when it you know, especially when it comes to all of this, like they're like, oh yeah, you know, we support free movement, free movement. But they're not just talking about free movement of labour. These people support the free movement of capital as well, which means by proxy they also support tax avoidance and things like mm-hmm. that. Because that's what free movement of capital results in.
4: I think the the thing with the soft left is that they are a very, very marginal group. Like, Progress, Labour First are much more significant than, like, Open Labour, who are, like, two people. And, yeah but, the
3: soft left only exists inside their own heads
4: yeah, yeah. but like even aside from that for like for 200 people on twitter uh, charitably and who go to these open labour events and consider themselves on the soft left and the one MP uh, <laughs> Mr <laughs> Sobel apologising for uh, say, uh well, he apologised for at one point in his life being critical of capitalism although he no longer is uh, and <laughs> (laughs) But, like, these people, their whole... Like, the whole thing that their fucking politics were predicated on is just lying in tatters with the Starmer Project because they were, like, the biggest advocates of, uh, like, well, we support the policies, but we just need a leader who's less toxic, you know. What we do is we just appoint a leader who's not a socialist leader... And if anything, we'll actually end up to the left of where we were under Corbyn. Like, look, we just swapped Diane Abbott out for Nick Thomas Simmons. And yeah, you know, free movement central. That's what the Labour Party is going to be. And, you know, these people's delusion has just been totally exposed by just uh, seeing in reality that the balance of forces that will inexorably push any so-called soft left project to the right.
1: Absolutely. This is the thing. I I was doing uh, five live uh, on Friday with someone from uh, London Young Labour, who's obviously from Blairite hack, and uh, that sort of saying like, there's no, there's no vision, there's no policies. You know, even Blair in '97, not my politics, obviously, but he had a transformative vision and he was able to communicate that. Well, you know, he he had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so know like, that that was it gave people something to vote for. Um, and and this person was saying, well, you know, I we we got the twenty nineteen manifesto was you know rejected and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, well, the policies are very popular. And they said yes, but the thing that was coming out again and again was the um, you know on the doorstep like the old trope on the doorstep. Uh, Cor- Corbyn we don't we can't vote for Corbyn we need you know so we need we need a new leader i mean need a new kind of advocate for the agenda that we want to advance and i said well now you've got one so what's wrong with the agenda that that starmer kind of put forward in the leadership contest you know what's wrong with keeping to the ten pledges and the answer came there none, obviously because the the reality is their political project is about moving away from corbinism it's not about corbinism with uh, you know, a suit on and, and hair gel. This is about actually shifting the political centre of gravity to the right. And anyone who's fallen for it, I'm sorry, uh, lesson learned. Uh, but it, you know, it's, that that's politics, and this is what this is what the right does. They lie. And Starmer's won the leadership on the basis of a lie, really. And and I think what Owen Jones said earlier is correct. If, if he wants to pursue this course of action, he needs to get a new mandate.
3: Well this is this is the thing, isn't it? You know, Starmer we said that by we I mean, you know, to left. We said that Starmer was taking people for fools. And yes. and they allowed themselves to be taken for fools. You know, Starmer's big pitch was essentially, Oh, it's not the messages that's the problem, it's the messenger. Well, now we've got an even worse messenger <clears throat> who has no message.
4: Yeah. Yeah absolutely I mean what I guess I've actually found myself enjoying a lot of Owen Jones's content in the last few days my disagreements with him I have put to the side for the time being because for example he did a good live stream today with John McDonnell and John Trickett giving some fiery contributions I loved John Trickett's like dismissal of the 10 pledges where he was just like Well, you know, I didn't think they were that good to start with. I'm more radical than that. (laughs) But, like, yeah, I've I've been, like, uh, enjoying a lot of Mr. Jones's output. But one area I do disagree with him in is the no vision thing because i think they, they 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 have a horrifying vision of the future a horrifying a horrifying vision of the future of the labor party which is of this hollowed out party in thrall to big business like how much fucking like corporate ass do they have to kiss to actually get dom- donations that would compensate for a decline in membership that this turn to the right would would create Um, I, I I think that once again this is a right-wing ideological project everything that they've done is just to it's not not about winning elections it's about consolidating their grip on the party and make sure that it will never pose a meaningful challenge to the the natural order of things in this country
3: well that's the thing isn't it and, and it's an incredibly unpopular project that they're pursuing the party is hemorrhaging members you know they as as i think jude was saying earlier on you know they're not getting any money off big donors they're certainly not getting any money off small donors <laughs> and now you see them now using using that failure in and of itself as an opportunity to virtue signal you know they were coming out with last night that they're going to move uh, the Labour Party to headquarters to somewhere in the north of England, you know. And they're not doing that because they think that you know uh, Labour Party headquarters should be in the north because you know then they'll be more entrenched in local communities or anything like that. No, no, no. It's because the Labour Party is now so poor it can't afford to rent office space in London.
1: Yeah.
3: I said, to be fair, words. that's a lot of,
5: that's a lot of businesses after the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of businesses after the pandemic, like commercial real estate has really like, you know, taken a nosedive. But I, I, I think it's just that the party don't really know what it necessarily wants to be. I think for a very, very long time, the Lo- the Labour Party has kind of cosplayed as this kind of righteous party that's of the left but also of the centre but also of the centre left and you know they've been able to kind of reckon a lot of its own positions on various kind of moral kind of I guess like statement moments in history like nobody really remembers that the Labour Party weren't particularly pro-gay rights in the 80s that um you know The repealing of Section 21, the the legalisation of gay marriage, none of these things were really done because Labour pushed for it to happen. Um, And that's kind of all unfolding now, where these kind of progressive uh, standpoints that the Labour Party has kind of relied on for about a third of its vote, um, are really collapsing and crumbling. And the other two thirds, which was kind of competence and a vision of some kind of moderate vision, uh, don't exist. So the party's just all at sea.
4: I love how the solution proposed by all like the Starmer clones, to use a phrase uh, that Michael Gapes might use towards uh, one of Corbyn's media surrogates, the Starmer clones out in the media, Jim McMahon, Wes Streeting more on them in a minute, but all of them are saying, uh, well, you see, the problem is that we haven't effectively communicated the positive changes made in the party. You know, people just haven't noticed that we've changed for the better. And it, it's just the most preposterous thing, because, like, I OK, messaging is a real concern in politics, but on the other hand, if you're actively going backwards, apart from in the places that don't have a particularly starmerite message... Then maybe the changes you've enacted to the party haven't been so positive. Maybe yeah. um, fucking scrapping that community organising unit, sacking all the northern working class MPs from a shadow cabinet. Maybe those weren't like fucking brain genius moves. I think I think it just
1: just building on what, what um, Jude was saying that they they but they believed that, that they believed in their own propaganda really the last five years during Corbyn's leadership, which was. If Corbyn goes, then we'll return to, you know, being a def- default kind of, dis- default choice for government. And, and and you know, it, all the problems will be solved. If only Corbyn wasn't the leader, anyone else would be 20 points ahead. And they, they believed that. They believed their own propaganda. So when they finally got back in control of the party, they thought that they wouldn't have to do anything. They could like, just ramble sort of the along. This
4: job is hard. What? Who could have yeah, seen
1: this? No, yeah, I... I, I I, I genuinely think that, and and, and uh, like all of the, you know, Starmer, Starmer's biggest biggest supporters, uh, most loyal supporters A in, in the Shadow, in, in the shadow yes. Cabinet are all, are all Blairites, right? And they are really, really impressed with Starmer. They think he's fantastic. They think that everyone should want him to be Prime Minister, and they can't actually come to terms with the fact that the public doesn't really think that he's that special (laughs) they actually don't think they they they, they actually don't like him
4: and and they don't want to confront not to vote for him in Polly Toynbee's words
3: according to polling that was released the other day who's the number one reason why people will not vote Labour Keir okay, Starmer
4: is that reason I mean at least Corbyn brought a few people in because of him, him as a person you know <laughs> it's really <laughs> fucking and, and in terms of because like the polling that polling also shows that in terms of the people who are joining uh, Labour you know like 1% of uh, sorry who are voting Labour like 1% of them is because they like Starmer like less than that you know it's a he's barely bringing anyone in because of his fucking magnetic personality um i just wanted to throw this out there because the owen jones tweeted uh about half an hour ago he says the reason the labor reshuffle isn't happening is because the shadow ministers Keir starmer's team are trying to demote are refusing to move and abetting the house <laughs> on the fact starmer no longer has any political authority so like i think jeremy hunt did this when <laughs> theresa may tried to sack him and someone on twitter i think like a lobby journalist said maybe they'll do this and then all Obviously all the fucking MPs read that tweet and were like, yeah, <laughs> let's do this. This is just, there's such like a symbiotic relationship between the chaos in Westminster and the chaos on Twitter the last couple of days. Uh, <laughs>
3: Which so he's makes... struggling So he's struggling to appoint uh, everyone's favourite uh, McDonald's lobbyist West Street, you <laughs> know as chair of the late Pie. I mean, look, I look forward to West Street and becoming chair of the Labour Party because he's got a fantastic, he's got two fantastic policies, right? In Britain, there are more food banks than there are McDonald's. Well, West Street wants to flip that, <laughs> and uh, and also he has a, a policy for for schools that I think is really good, which is free school happy meals for all.
4: A senior Labour source.
3: Every child will get a toy.
4: <laughs> a senior <laughs> Labour figure told a meeting with the leader's office that Angela Rayner was dressed inappropriately on a visit to Hartlepool. She was wearing leopard print trousers, heavy duty stomper boots, and a hoodie. I mean, uh, that merits a. Save uh, sure. see, see- she, she should have gone.
1: She, she should have gone shopping with Jeffrey Epstein, like Mandy, and maybe she should have <laughs> bought
4: some nice clothes. It's
5: a really, it's a weird thing about Angela Rayner because she kind of straddles so many different factions of people who would like naturally vote Labour. Mm. So she kind of has this kind of weird grebo light kind of aesthetic about her. So mm-hmm. she wears these heavy duty Doc Martins, and she kind of, you know, she kind of dresses a bit like a grungy. But also she's, like, in her, like, late 30s, early 40s. But also she's a grandmother, you know. (laughs) And all of these things kind of combine in one person, which should actually make her, like, a quadruple threat. But because she's such a snake, none of it it goes to any good whatsoever. But it actually does make it very difficult for someone like Keir Starmer to criticise her without kind of falling into... These kind of carefully laid traps of either misogyny or kind of, you know, these kind of classism where it's like, okay she wears leopard print. But what is the problem with wearing leopard print? You can wear leopard print and still be a serious politician. And if you don't think that, then clearly there's a classism um, aspect to it uh, in the way that, you know, Scary Spice was always known was kind of always known as the less serious Spice Girl, even though she was probably the most intelligent one of the five after Sporty Spice. Um, and it's, it's this thing about kind of your presentation, your outward presentation, um, mattering more than your actual intellect and and, and insights. Um, and that's a really weird kind of route for, for Starmer to go down. And it kind of shows that, it's that kind of arrogance that's kind of emanating around lotto where they think that they can navigate something like you know criticizing angela rayner for the fact that she wears leopard print without people kind of clearly seeing that for the dog whistle classism that it really is um and they're kind of stuck because it's like anything you do throw at her is going to resonate with a part of the 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 kind of the electorate that you need, that Labour needs in its coalition of voters to get anywhere close to power. So, yeah, if I was a senior Labour figure who, who was kind of briefing this at the parliament, it kind of shows that whole reactionary thing where they're obviously saying this stuff because they think it's going to play well in the red wall with social conservatives who don't like Loud leopard print or heavy, doppel- um, heavy duty stompers. Women boots they... to know their
2: bloody place.
5: <laughs> exactly, they want they want women to be dressed in like cardigans and and like long sleeve shirts that show no cleavage, no no ankles. We don't want to see any of that nonsense. We don't want to see colour. We want just plain, bland clothing, um, and who already look at Angela Rayner as you know somebody who's quite young. But has a child who's in her teenage years, who also has a child, and they just look at her as like a bad example of what society should be, and they're playing up to that. That's the kind of people that Labour are trying to capture under Starmer, and so they, they've obviously calculated that throw, throwing Star um, Rainer under the bus is going to kind of gain them those those kind of three Mary Whitehouse-esque, you know, Labour supporters back from like Hull. but the problem is that those people don't outnumber the kind of voters that you could be getting in canterbury in tunbridge wells in other places who you know are there for Labour's taking if they wish to otherwise they're going to vote lib dem or green um and and it's up to keith to actually put a a team around him that can kind of look at these nuances in society but he doesn't because they're all kind of arch blairites who who went to private school and have like no interaction with human people whatsoever. <laughs> so they can't read a room and they just think oh yeah let's like you know angela rayner looks a bit like a chav like we'll go for that people love laughing at chavs and it's like yeah it's not 2010 anymore nobody likes laughing at chavs anymore <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah um I just thought maybe we should, like, um, sort of just refresh people's memory on, on, on like, this whole briefing war that's been going on between Starmer and Reyna. So, essentially, last night, was it before or after her sacking, all this stuff started coming out about... People close to Starmer were very angry at Angela Rayner for travelling first class, and then she said that this was a measure for her safety. And there was kind of a thing going back and forth um, between them. And what 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 else was being briefed? Because obviously this this culminated then, I guess. People were talking about how like journalists were reporting reportedly that Angela Rayner has quote-unquote no relationship with Jenny Chapman who is she's in a senior advisory role to Starmer what what is um, what is her role exactly she's political secretary she ran this leadership
1: campaign but she used to be the MP for Doncaster lost her seat in 2019 Um, was made a baroness uh, so she's in the House of Lords made a a peer um, recently did it the, the right way around I mean I think you know if you're going to do that if you're going to become a you know, former MP you become a member of leader's office staff and you want to get into the House of Lords get it done get it done straight away at the beginning because uh, <laughs> if, you, if you end up waiting until the end they'll find a way to stop you like as Carrie found out
4: Um yeah, so you know. um, like you know tim I
1: mean? shipman may start digging into your personal life or something <laughs> yeah. <morning. laughs> yeah yeah so so got, got it out of the way early doors anyway she's baroness Chapman technically and and uh, she's the political secretary she wields a lot of power she's a former progress senior executive i think or on the board of progress or whatever so um very much aligned to that wing of the party but that, and that's that's really how we knew that um you know Keir, Keir was going to run a very right-wing operation it had it sort of sprinkled with token lefties here and there but ultimately you had Owen Smith's campaign team and then you had people like Jenny Chapman, you had Matt Pound labor first um, pro like people. <laughs> yeah. um, basically just you know the, the right of the party and of course then this is what what's what's manifested now is the left has completely shut out. As soon as he won the leadership, none of them were offered jobs. I'm, I'm told that a lot of them were promised jobs when they supported Starmer. I mean, again, lesson learned. Um, that's, that's the way these guys roll. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Jenny really is, I think, symptomatic of kind of the political direction of travel.
4: Well, she was a people's voter wasn't she in an all brexity well not all but a heavily brexity seat and she lost her seat and obviously it was entirely jeremy corbyn's fault and uh, when she'd won it the previous election that was nothing to do with jeremy corbyn not only <laughs> did she lose
3: I... her seat in the house of commons she's not uh, apparently not allowed around starmer's house either
4: <laughs> well yeah i mean so... <laughs> sorry sorry jude no no you, I was predi- just you pick... were very prescient by the way in your predictions uh, it, it, regarding...
5: it, like honestly heavy is the head that wears the crown but um <laughs> it was very strange for starmer's office to say to brief to you know gabriel pogrand that he had been personally very upset by negative briefings about Jer- jenny chapman and and it's like it just sounds like, i remember just tweeting it's like is sound- <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Why is that the thing that you're focusing on 48 hours after like a fucking drubbing in the local elections? It's very strange. And then, um, you know, the second worst shipment of all shipments <laughs> in the UK
2: um,
5: decided to kind of tweet and then delete this, uh, this tweet that alleged some kind of extramarital affair between... Um, Keir Starmer and Jenny Jenny Shipman, and it's like this would not be the first time that a senior you know politician was shagging somebody who was their subordinate I mean uh, (laughs) Khalid Mahmood is currently being taken to employment tribunal by his ex-girlfriend who was also his staffer for the second time (laughs) Um, so these things do happen but it it, it really
4: does
5: (laughs) it really honestly like the Labour Party is such fucking cess. But yeah it was it was, it was,
4: it was really <laughs> funny actually with Tim Shipman. He there was just a period of an hour where he just went super fucking hard. Like he got the journalist sense, you know. He was like <laughs> do Sunday I smell a drinking. scoop? And so, it so firstly, he tweeted loyalty to Jenny Chapman, whose qualifications include losing a red wall seat seems to be the most important commodity. As far as labor high command is concerned this evening, he was getting suspicious. Alarm bells were ringing. Then Gabriel Pogren tweeted the thing about how Starmer was personally very upset by negative briefings about Jenny Chapman. Maybe Gabriel trying to uh, imply something, but being a bit more tactful, uh, Starmer has already indicated as much at a shadow cabinet meeting that was his priority to give everyone a bollocking for being mean about jenny chapman <laughs> uh, who angela rayner apparently has no relationship with but is denying briefing against no relationship with unlike some people uh, tim shipman then just said quote tweets that saying diddums then he he gets even more excited he uh, tweets defend jenny chapman at all costs that must be the main goal i tell you who is this woman <clears throat> what has she got on Starmer? a failed red wall mp who has shown no evidence that she has any understanding of politics and yeah. um, that's kind of similar to on uh, the Navarra stream that day uh, bastani sort of said something like what has she got on Starmer?" and then he sort of like muttered like what kind of what has she got some hard drive on him and i was like wow that is bold But bastani is implying that about <laughs> the, the good doctor <laughs> <Box office laughs> Bastano. um but then finally tim shipman just snapped he, he he could not contain himself any longer what he had clearly been holding in for an hour and he said Labour source claims that Jenny Chapman has been banned from Keir Starmer's house on the orders of Starmer's wife. The plot thickens. And then within four minutes, he deleted that tweet. (laughs) What fucking Odyssey? An exhilarating hour of blockbuster journalism.
5: I can't believe I predicted it as a joke. I know. (laughs) It's actually scary that I can't predict the lottery numbers, but I can predict... People in Parliament
4: having affairs, allegedly. What, allegedly, that's the thing. We have no evidence that that, that <clears throat> this. Well, maybe the evidence presented by Tim Shipman, but we have we have little evidence that this beyond a few dates where they were hanging out together, such as Valentine's Day, that match up. <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> the, the fact the fact that Starmer was like campaigning with Jenny Chapman on that day that he talked about uh mysteriously turning up in the wrong hotel room you know I am sure he, he just happened to be uh you know he just needed an alibi. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 aside, you know, no concrete evidence. But it's just so fucking funny. But this has happened. Like, how did this just kick off? Like within a, like everyone was like slagging off uh, the Labour because and Starmer because of the election results. And then he just like went to ground and just sacked somebody. Like did the most foolish sacking possible. And then like within an hour, it's just like Starmer's possibly happening. <laughs> <laughs> with with another senior Labour politician.
1: If you've made your entire kind of political message uh, one of, uh, you know, not really saying a lot about the country or a vision for the country, but just saying that the Tories are sleazy, then you really need to be squeaky clean. And I'm not just talking about donors either. I mean, I always thought that that line about Tory sleeves that they kept trying to pedal is pretty incoherent. When you look at some of the people that funded Keir Starmer's leadership campaign and some of the people that have had access, and the fact that Peter Mandelson's come back, but um, yeah, I mean, if if there's anything to this, clearly that's uh, that's you know, I think I think he's he'd have to resign. I just don't see. I think it's just his credibility will be completely. It's not like yeah, if if you it's made worse by the fact that he's tried because it's the hypocrisy element of it that he's tried to use Tory sleaze and really sort of front-loaded all of that in his messaging I think that, that makes it so much worse if there is anything to it
4: indeed if there is you you're you're, you're uh, on friendly terms with Tim Shipman aren't you Max Matt not Matt rather <laughs> not Max sorry <laughs>
3: I stay away
1: from the known. I've known Tim Shipman. I've known Tim Shipman for quite uh, quite some time, about best part of a decade, because when he was a journalist, um, it was either at the Mail or the. I think it was the Mail when he was. Uh, this was a long time ago, but basically he used to do a lot of gambling stories. So he was actually quite good on that stuff. So I know, and, and then obviously I knew him when I was with, working for Jeremy, and uh, he didn't do it did really labour stories. He did Tory stuff, so there wasn't really that much hostility. It used to be James Lyons that did the labour stories, which was, and he was a right pain in the arse. But Tim Shipman, yeah, I've always kind of not really had any any issues with Tim. So yeah, yeah. he a, t- tends, to be, tends to 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 be able to sniff out the gossip by the sounds of it.
4: <laughs> well, that, that that's the thing, you know, I, I, I do hope that uh, he has, uh, not that I would obviously wish uh, this terrible, uh, you know, situation on, on Keir Starmer or anything like that, but, uh, you know, I hope that Tim Shipman is as well connected uh, in this regard as he is with the Conservative Party, because, yeah, that's why he, he sort of encouraged pogrind and Maguire to write their book, because they had uh, mm-hmm. links with Labour people that he didn't necessarily, but... Yeah, I I I don't doubt that he has some labour links, um, and and that mm. that his shock reveal sort of it came at a time when there are a lot of well placed people who may well have had an incentive to brief against Keir Starmer.
3: Social democracy, and no offence to you, Jack, with <laughs> this one, but social democracy with an Oxstead face. <laughs> He's
4: really like not, not doing well. Yeah, yeah no that's true. I mean for those who aren't aware I'm uh I currently live in the place where Keir Starmer was born. The donkey sanctuary.
1: <laughs> oh really? I'm oh, sorry, I thought you were doing some kind of uh uh, Jesus Christ analogy there, sorry an actual donkey an, 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 and an actual... Messiah. he is going uh, to save
4: the Labour Party and save British politics and stop Brexit, <laughs> even though that's not his policy, he's actually pro-Brexit now uh, as a hardcore a Remainer, I just want a nice man in the suit in charge who isn't going to challenge capital <laughs> before we wrap up I wanted to maybe um, give some get into some predictions uh for this imminent reshuffle which um will it come who knows i remember there was a reshuffle uh, probably when matt was working for corbin actually that took like 3 days or something and it was uh, you know seen as the endless reshuffle uh but at least it started happening this one yeah. is, seems to be, uh, you know, of a waiting for Godot of reshuffles. Like, when when will it come? When will he give Angela Rayner that fancy new role that she's reportedly
1: been promised?
5: That, no- that nobody knows what it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it I doesn't actually exist in the party hierarchy. <laughs> no yeah, they're, they're,
4: no they're, they're... going to even Oh shit! He's going to make her president of a party, like uh, Owen Smith said he would, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> not party
5: chair, but president.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, not a real position. Obviously, it would just be like, let's sit sit, here, sit in this chair, Jeremy. Put this hat on, and uh, you can be president. But I, me- of- I remember, I
1: remember that very well. When uh, when Owen Smith went into Jeremy's office with Lisa Mandy actually, and uh, and said to Jeremy, explained to Jeremy, with I think John McDonnell was in the room as well. Um, uh, Look, what's going to happen, Jeremy, is you're going to resign and become president of the party, and then I'm going to be the leader. Um, and, Jeremy said, and Jeremy said no, I don't think so uh, just made up a position uh, uh, that, that's not going to happen um, uh, anyway, pretty funny but yeah, as you say like, there's no, they've now said Angela um, they want to give her a promotion because they're trying to backtrack from the fact that they, they, they were planning to sack her uh, and there is no such position that exists you know, that could be deemed reasonably a promotion from party chair Mm, a public-facing role. Is that, said.
3: The thing is, is that when the position of party chair was invented, it didn't exist either. It wasn't a real position within the party or anything like that. You know, previously the chair of the Labour Party was the chair of the, uh, chair of the National Executive Committee.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Blair just made it up to give someone a position. Yeah, but
1: the the idea that this this isn't a, a public-facing role, it's as public-facing as you allow it to be i mean the problem is it's as public the problem is she hasn't been allowed to go on the media that's the thing they don't want her to be able to define herself and her persona and her profile because they're worried about they see her as a threat to the leadership right so they've said basically you're in I charge think of election. it's actually a
5: dual bind matt i think it's that they simultaneously think the more the public see of her the more they'll like her and then she's a threat to the leadership but I think there's also a classist element of it where they think mm. she's an embarrassment to the party.
4: They're also holding not, Ali's not... gods back because she's too charismatic yeah. and she's <laughs> well, going uh, to take think the heat that... off. No, I'm just kidding.
5: <laughs> they, they, did, they don't think that Angelina, Angela Rayner is the kind of thing that they want to promote as being what the Labour Party is. They don't really want people like Angela Rayner. They want working-class people who are socially conservative, and that's not Angela Rayner. And so there, there's a kind of a dual bind. And, you, and you, if you look at kind of a lot of the briefing against Angela Rayner since the local elections, is very classist in base. Uh, about her clothing kind of the fact that you know she's quite young she's very working class she's northern these are all signifiers from starmer allies about class yeah um, and about and about uh Rainer just being from the wrong type of the working class that the labour party is trying to you know quote unquote reconnect to and they don't want to reconnect to people like angela Rainer, you know single mums who are grandmothers in their early 40s or their late 30s they want to connect to kind of former working class plumbers or electricians who live in wigan who own their house and don't you know they're mortgage free and and you know they don't really agree with black lives matter or whatever what they to turn kind of the thing.
3: respectable working
4: class but they're exactly, not they're so. not concerned enough with winning over the votes of those people to like not impose a fucking like hardcore Blairite Remainer like Paul Williams onto a seat, you know. <laughs> they're they're concerned with projecting the image to the establishment that they're winning over these voters, whatever that means. Like they, they but their
3: capital's beating. Mm.
4: Ex- exactly. They 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 kind of they're kind of like, oh look, we're a- we're appealing to working class voters in these ways that do not specifically challenge capital
1: like
4: that that's when you code the working class as like a kind of racialized thing you know yeah Yeah. exactly you don't you don't have to be as critical of capitalism so it's very easy for the center left to lean into that social conservative but hopefully not easy for them to succeed with that strategy i don't think and that that's what i want to wrap up in a minute but finally do we think that there is any way back the Starmer project. Firstly, do we think (laughs) there's any way that they can still make a success of it and win, make Keir Starmer prime minister? Secondly, is there a way back from this Blairite position? Is there a way to go back to the milquetoast social democracy of the 10 pledges, for example? I'm giving the floor to you guys.
1: The the only way I can see that this could work, and by work, I mean, like, that we'd be making advances on 2019. Like, like building on on that as a baseline is if they made john mcdonald shadow chancellor <laughs> and reinstated Jeremy Corbyn. oh yeah
4: sacked cool sack,
1: sack, sack, sack all the blairites in the office and effectively pissed off half the plp like that's the only way i think it can it, it can work but that's, that's not going to happen and if john john mcdonald was asked do you want to come back in any capacity? You should tell them to tell them where to go. Um, mm. The left shouldn't be anywhere near this because the Blairites will remain in control, and that is for me that's the that's the thing that will ultimately lead to uh, you know, a bolstering of the left's position. It will be the fact that the Blairites will have to own this political project and its consequences, and obviously the party will suffer as a result. But I think. The left is, the, the, the party needs the left, the party needs the left because it's, the left is, in fact, if anything, the modernising element of the Labour Party at the moment, it's coming up with <laughs> solutions act- that's actually, you know, relevant to the context that we're in, and the sooner the left's in charge, the better. So if we can, ex- if there's a kind of accelerationist uh, logic to it, I guess, but yeah, the blowouts have to own all this.
5: I I think I kind of echo what Matt's saying, but I also think that the left can be really strategic about this. I think um, they can do all of that whilst also forging kind of a separate extra parliamentary path um, in the next kind of 12 to 24 months. I think what the actual local election results have shown us, especially in the south of England, is that there's a lot of fertile ground for the Labour Party to make inroads um and they're kind of seeding it the 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 lib dems nobody really trusts them and people are only really voting to them for them because out of a lack of k- kind of you know other options sort of thing and you're never really going to find labor candidates who are palatable to places like Tunbridge Wells because they're so used to voting for you know your Tory or your Lib Dems who are kind of basically just like Tories but like you know nicer Tory. and so you're never going to get like a Labour controlled Tunbridge Wells but what you can do is increase significantly the um the prospect of kind of Labour candidates in some in a place like Tunbridge Wells or in places in Surrey where the Labour Party has actually done quite well in the in the local elections but that requires the left in itself. To kind of splinter into two under kind of like an uh, an unspoken pact where kind of the more radical aspects do the extra parliamentary work and the less radical aspects do the kind of the hard graft of trying to push the Labour Party left, which means doing the hard work that the Labour Party has been ducking for the last six years, which is having that conversation about immigration about diversity in the country about towns that have very little youth employment youth engagement that are kind of becoming kind of retirement villages uh, where it's just kind of old middle-class white people who live there who are going to end up in care homes and why they're not getting people because you know I, i was speaking earlier on twitter and i was saying you know there's a cruel irony where the home office currently kind of try to disperse asylum seekers outside of the major cities so in towns like Huddersfield or Hartlepool or you know Leeds or you know these kind of places where they're not necessarily London or your Birmingham or your Manchester but they're still kind of you know diverse enough but all of these towns have kind of gone pro leave because they've hated the idea of all of these immigrants trying to integrate into their towns, even though they need these integra- immigrants to integrate into their towns because they don't have the the youth dynamic. They don't have younger people living there to kind of keep everything kind of ticking along. And you, the older the population, the less likely you're, you are to have things like hospitality and entertainment happening in your p- property because you know, 55-year-olds don't want to work as baristas in a, in a you know, a cafe or a, an arena or someplace like that. And the Labour Party is kind of in that in-between place where they can have this conversation with the country at large, which late, the, the Tories don't want to have. They do not want to have this conversation. What they want to do is kind of monopolise on it and and kind of have an opportunist um take at it, which is, you know, the whole kind of quote-unquote cultural war that they, they're they waging. But they're only able to do that because the Labour Party just have refused to be part of the conversation for the last 10 years. And my biggest disappointment with something like Momentum is that they're not trying to spearhead these conversations Where I don't know if you guys saw the Vox Pop, um, I think it was from BBC, of these two guys in in Hartlepool and they were complaining about the Labour Party and how they wanted to vote the Labour Party out because they were blaming them for kind of like a lack of investment in the hospitals and, and the local area. And there was so much disdain from people who were responding to this Vox Pop saying, you know, has anybody told these people that, you know, the, the Tories have been in government for the last 11 years? It's like, okay, the Tories have been in government for the last 11 years, but the Labour Party have been in charge of their local kind of politics for the last 30 years and nothing has changed for them. So why wouldn't you expect them to kind of look elsewhere, to, to dip their, their toes in other pools? Um, and that's the problem that the Labour Party has right now. They're trying so hard to be to be the Tories and it's a it's a lot easier to vote for the incumbent than vote for the opposition who's trying to be like the incumbent if you're trying to get something for your local area
4: yeah that makes sense what about you max what what are your feelings on... i'm not
3: sure whether i'm not sure whether starmer will still be in post by the end of june you know we've got <laughs> we're going to be having a by election in june in batley and spen because um, the MP Tracy for Brabin, has be- yeah, has just become MP for uh, Mayor for West Yorkshire. You know, Labour's majority in Spen is three thousand five hundred and twenty-five, and the Brexit Party won uh, one thousand six hundred seventy-eight votes there in twenty nineteen. So it's not exactly a huge mountain for the Tories to climb. You know, and it's if if if. They do if they try doing a similar thing there as they did in Hartlepool. It's quite possible that Labour could lose that election. In which case, you know, how can Starmer seriously stay on?
2: I think he'll stay
3: on because they want him to stay on. Because oh They no. don't
4: yeah. have, I think they don't have too, anyone to replace him. It's going to make his, position,
3: it's gonna make his position, you know, incredibly difficult. Sorry. I think they'll hang on for dear life right till the end. But, you know, there will be some rumblings within within the PLP. And they, you know... And not necessarily just from the left.
4: A senior Labour source just told Patrick Maguire, we look like a Westminster bubble freak show. <laughs> and I checked, and it that, that's not even... Nothing news happened, that's just a, the reverberations of the, the shit that's been happening keeps going on. But yeah, I'm, I'm seeing that... Um, a lot of candidates are being named for the batley and spen by election who are like actually from batley and spen and seem to be local activists
2: you so... mean they're
4: not gonna run dr paul williams oh this. they probably will maybe they're probably just gonna say oh we'll cons- we're considering these people considering considering con- oh shit but they like retweeted jeremy corbyn once there's only one leaving. man
3: that can save batley and spen <laughs>
4: And that is Dr. Paul Williams. <laughs> I was going to say <laughs> Michael John Gapes.
3: <laughs> but on you know on the talk of you know it being a bit of a freak show, I mean it's more of a clown show because you know Kim <sighs> obviously wants to appoint Ronald McDonald as
4: party, party chair I know it's incredible like you go out there and just it, d- demean yourself by pretending that you think that criticizing McDonald's is criticizing their workers and then like you know you actually get that shite published and people are like a oh, very serious <laughs> crisis for Jeremy Corbyn and then they potentially make you fucking party chair it's incredible the other guy uh, yeah who's going out being the little starmer surrogate is Steve Reed that that fucker uh Garine, i was wondering if you had any uh, thoughts to uh sum up you know what you think the future uh, of the Starmer project holds
0: i think uh, i agree with most of what our, our guests have said there i think um ah that's good all right the, bye yeah. everyone. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the, the, the future of, of starmerism literally in terms of Starmer being in charge, is not i don't think long for this world but whether he clings on for a a few weeks or a couple of years like you asked way back like is he going to ever turn it around to become prime minister no absolutely not no
5: well there's local elections next year so i think he's possibly probably got a maximum of 12 months on it because for, like for my borough islington we had by elections this year because there were a couple of local councillor seats that were up for re election people who had like resigned but actual our actual elections are going to be held next year so he's probably got about 12 months maximum
0: yeah and how, how is he going to turn I mean, it around it all, substantially it all... in, in that sort of time you know Get yeah i think it... years from a proper strategy think... now
3: yeah i think in all seriousness i stand a better chance of becoming prime minister <laughs> than Keir Starmer
4: does right now. and that would obviously be vastly preferable as well yeah. It's
5: really funny. My uncle like was trying to get me to run for local council and for for Islington Nation. I was like, absolutely not. I do <laughs> not want the Daily Mail standing on my front doorstep. I was like, no, I know too many people who've gone to jail, so that's like, not going to work well for me. It's fine.
4: <laughs> like, they defined all your appearances on this they'll show. Literally, and, and yeah, did they'll literally, yeah. Part two. Of well, the... there's that,
5: but then there's also like. <laughs> Jude Wanger was friends with criminals who spent six years at Her Majesty's leisure uh, for shit. robbing a bank.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was also us. We were, we were sent to prison in 2017 <laughs> for speaking too much truth where we remain to this day. Um. (laughs) i mean i i I don't know if there's any any like parting information i i I, we should depart before we go because there's uh in rather before we go i i think there's you know I, i was been sitting here this whole time periodically checking twitter just waiting for some reshuffle news you know waiting for wes to get his due wow okay apparently uh Tim Shipman hasn't tweeted oh, since he deleted the tweet yesterday. Shit. Do you think that Starmer is pursuing legal proceedings against Tim Shipman? Tim Shipman. Well, I hope Tim Shipman not because if he the is the He's <laughs> I mean, if, if, if
0: Tim Shipman has got killers, sued, man. Then Starmer, then I'm probably I mean, sorry, kid,
4: Don't kill if, me. If, I mean, I mean, if, don't, if, don't sue me for saying you got killers. He was deploying Dan Jarvis. In an SUV to fucking run him down. (laughs) Wow, that's amazing about Shippers. Just I I, yeah, if it will be worth it. Shippers can rebrand as a Corbynite journalist. (laughs) Like (laughs) after torching his career at the Times just to to destroy (laughs) Keir Starmer's marriage and reputation. (laughs) <laughs> oh man so so good i was just gonna say about wes like speaking of delete uh, tweet deletions wes went back last night when just as just after it had been briefed that he was about to get promoted he locked his fucking twitter account the little worm and deleted all his good tweets about the clown the golden arches big Macs, etc i think
3: someone said it's like the bur- like t- uh streeting going through his twitter account deleting tweets is like the burning of the Library
5: of Alexandra. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like, think that, that was same.
4: ISIS shit.
5: The really weird thing about it is that West Streeting is not exactly the most non-aggressive person to make party chair. And there's not a, there's no amount of tweets that he could delete that's going yes. to erase his entire kind of acerbic present on, on Twitter. And it's just crazy to have two people as party chair and leader who have never served an entire parliamentary term between them. Like, <laughs>
2: exactly. they were both elected in 2015. I mean, 2015.
3: Just, on that, just on that point quickly, I meant to say earlier on, did you know that there were people who wanted Keir Starmer to stand for leader in 2015?
4: We welcome yeah. our new Keir Starmer overlords, in the words of one non-Keir Starmer-supporting journalist, Mr Stephen Bush, who has never supported Starmer, does not sympathize with him in the slightest, does not think he's a big, beautiful man who he wants to give a big wet kiss. <laughs> <And anyone laughs> well, he doesn't any now, of anyway. Of
0: things, is an anti-Semite, is his position today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very serious, man.
5: He's just such a joke. Like, I actually feel sorry for him. It's like, between the Poundland donking hair and...
4: <laughs> <laughs> I think Matt and Max have to go. So uh, we've, we, we've got we got to wrap this up now. But I, I was just going to say on the, the Stephen Bush point, I meant to say a little while back, it wasn't just him who welcomed our new Keir Starmer overlords. Somebody else who hoped that Keir Starmer might run for leader pretty much as soon as he got into parliament was one Jenny Chapman. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure that yeah, the receipts wow. for that are somewhere <laughs> on Twitter if, if uh, somebody wants to take a look. Uh, and yeah. I think Jude made some very good points there, but uh, frankly, I can't really see Labour at this point <laughs> make, making the case for anything because they seem to have given up on convincing the public uh, of any kind of alternate vision for a future. They seem to just have a miserable uh, vision of the Labour Party as a desiccated secondary party of capital uh, and its uh, thoroughly conservative role that it can still play in... Uh, in a conservative led british politics thank you so much jude matt and max for joining us today
3: thanks for having thanks
4: you
3: on. a pleasure thanks so much
4: life. thanks guys
3: and uh all the best
2: all the best, all the best. All the best.
4: <laughs> yeah let's all sign off on that and uh yeah all the best all folks. the best all the best, <laughs> all the best.
0: I slipped out of the house about sundown While mama was a-washing her hair And you can bet your bottom dollar she'll come looking for me When she finds that I'm not there And if she catches her sweet thing running around I know there'll be the devil to pay She'll come blowing like a cyclone right through that door And I can hear exactly what she'll say